Hey everyone, Mark and Steve here. Before we get started today, we want to let you know about Dare to Connect, our new online interactive video platform. For less than the cost of a therapy session, you and your spouse get live access to both of us three times a week. Each 30-minute live group support session provides interactive mentoring and healing for addicts, spouses, and couples. If you're loving our podcast and our unique style of bringing you recovery, you're going to love Dare to Connect. To learn more, go to daretoconnectnow.com. We're looking forward to seeing and working with you. Hey, everybody. I'm Steve Moore. And I'm Mark Castleman. We know the pain and heartbreak of porn and sex addiction. And we know the triumph of breaking completely free. Every day, we help our clients find hope and healing. Join us in the fight to take back your life, your marriage, and be stronger than ever. This is the PBSC Squared Podcast. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the PBSC podcast. It's good to be with you guys today. Steve Moore here, and along with Mark Castleman, uh, we got a submission this week from a listener that uh, was actually quite touching. Uh, it's pretty detailed and, and a little bit long, but we thought it was a great topic to address because it does touch on some of the more you know complicated facets of recovery. You know that even go beyond initial disclosure, and as we kind of start to navigate and and wade into some of the other areas of this process beyond just kind of those initial couple of days. And uh, so we're going to paraphrase a little bit of this. I'll do that briefly. And uh, then we'll read a little bit about her questions and we'll uh, jump right into this. So basically what we've got here is is uh, we had a wife write in. Uh, she and her husband have been married for some time. He has a long history uh, struggling with various uh, forms of sexual acting out and uh, and addiction. And uh, they, have, they, unfortunately, and she owns this fact, kind of went... Uh, it kind of went a little bit rogue in terms of kind of navigating some of these things on their own um, without the help of a therapist, which did complicate some things. They did a what we talk about on the on the podcast, oftentimes as being a staggered disclosure, right over the course of a long period of time. With the most recent kind of element to that being back in 2019, so a staggered disclosure being like little bits and pieces kind of being disclosed rather than that all kind of in one one go which does oftentimes complicate trauma for a lot of spouses. Uh, both of them are working recovery. Uh, they report that they feel, you know, quote, more connected and authentic than they ever have been. Um, and uh, one relevant note to uh, to note as they're going through this process, she does mention that she had a history of sexual abuse by a close male family member from between the ages of five and 12 uh, growing up, which, which causes all sorts of issues that we'll get into. Um, and uh, just to kind of sum up her question, if we move to that part, uh, she continues on and says, since my husband and I have gotten into recovery, I struggle with still feeling like we are supposed to be having sex every three days or my husband will fall and it will be my fault. I still struggle with his, dis his decreased libido now that he isn't hypersexualizing and can't help but feel triggered that he must be acting out. I'm ugly or there is something or that there is something wrong with me. I can confidently say he is in good recovery and he is not echoing the things that I am feeling. So how do I come to terms with this healthier sexual norm? How do I move through feeling like I wasted my sexual prime, quote unquote, and now have to be okay with sex once or twice every two weeks? 
We both enjoy sex together, but with work, kids, responsibilities, it's hard for us to get good connection time in that can open the door for healthy physical intimacy. Mm. Yeah, great, uh, great questions. <clears throat> and I, yeah, my heart uh, really went out to her. She described her situation. Um, I'm a, I'm a little bit of a, I don't know if I'm that unusual, um, mm -hmm. but I, but I come from both sides of this fence, mm, you know, yeah. both, both the, the addict, the betrayer with regard to my marriage relationship, but also as a kid, I was, a I was abused and some of that abuse involves sexual abuse as well as a lot of physical, physical and emotional abuse for much of my childhood. And it had a great, great deal to do with my addiction, why I, why I, yeah. I turned to addiction. So I can really, my heart really goes out to her as I hear her express that. And the thing that, uh, the thing that really jumped out at me, a few things. One is <clears throat> because of our history and this history, this, this sexual history that we all have comes from a number of places. Mm. It comes from the very culture that we live in. We have a very hypersexualized culture that we're raised in. Uh, many of those of, uh, you know, so-called sexual norms are modeled to us by the people in our families, uh, which, by the way, when we are abused sexually, make no mistake, that is modeling of yes. sexual behavior in a very distorted and twisted and destructive sense. But it is it is modeled to us how we are supposed to behave sexually and how we're, how we're supposed to be loved and desired and affirmed and all of those things that we can talk about in a minute. And, and then, of course, there's pornography, there's Hollywood, there's media, there's all of these, there's peers, there's all these, these influences that create this sexual wiring inside of us. And that has, we bring all of that with us into our relationships, into our marriages. Mm -hmm. All of that, you know, quote, baggage or luggage comes with us. And unfortunately, much of it is what we would call distorted. The norms yeah. become distorted. And so there are a few outcomes that are, that are very typical from these, these distorted norms that are, that are thrust upon us when we're, when we're small. And I, and I especially see this with a lot of the women that I work with who, were, who suffered sexual abuse as kids. One of two things will typically happen. One because of that abuse and that horrible rewiring of their of what should have been healthy, you know, sexual norms within them, they can become what we call hypersexual. And this is where we see women who will sometimes get involved in the in the the sex industry, you know, through prostitution or you know, pornography or strip clubs or whatever it is. They'll go, they'll go to that extreme in order to cope with the horrible trauma and and how broken they are. And others, in order to try to cope, will go the opposite extreme and will, and will even come to places of sexual anorexia. Mm -hmm. And again, I, this is, I want to make perfectly clear that those two extremes or anything in between comes about because these dear women are trying to survive. They're trying to make sense of it. They're, they're deal with, they deal with horrible, horrible feelings and self-image issues within themselves because of the abuse. They're just simply trying to cope and, and they're, they're yeah. figuring it out the best way that they can. Yeah. You know, and there, there is, and, and, and to kind of add to that, because it is absolutely tragic on every level. Uh, I mean, any form of abuse, especially childhood sexual abuse is, is, I mean, the, the ripples that come from that can't even be really accounted for in a negative way. 
um, you know, there are oftentimes in addition to, to what we're talking about here, there are, there are unhealthy links, right. Created in the brain, mm -hmm. uh, between, between, for example, sex and love. Yes. Um, a lot of clients that are, that come into my office and Mark's office will oftentimes struggle with this hypersexuality because they learned early on that, you know, basic norms around love, sort of like in a pornified way, love is sex. Yes. Right. The link between those becomes overly rigid and, 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 uh, simplistic, right. Rather than love being, or sex being one potential way of expressing love in a right context, right. With the right person, it becomes for, for, unfortunately for a, a young abuse victim, oftentimes, and, and that will oftentimes be portrayed verbally by the abuser. You know, this is how, you know, people love you. Um, that link between, you know, if I'm, if I'm to be accepted, for example, as a woman, I, that means by, by men, that means that they're going to have sex with me or sexually, uh, objectify me. And if that's not present, then they must not be loving. Yeah. Right. Or there must be something off. There must be something wrong. Right. And I think she even makes a brief reference. If I remember in her comments that there was even some, um, support of that position in her religious setting. Mm. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Very, very tragic, right? These, these different issues that, that, you know, that, that enter in when these things occur. So we have this amazing, you know, this amazing woman who's entered into a relationship and uh, here she is in a marriage now. Right. And unfortunately coming in with this background and on top of that, right. What it further complicates this, and this is to say nothing, keep in mind of, she doesn't make mention of it, but if there were any other dating relationships that introduced you know, potential trust issues or whatnot. Yeah. She doesn't um, really talk about all the, you know, the relationships she probably had in her teen years and, sure. and leading up to, you know, finally, uh, you know, pairing off and marrying this guy, you know, what yeah. else happened besides the, the abuse part when she was younger? Absolutely. And now she finds herself in a relationship with somebody who is, you know, like she said, they're, they're making a lot of great progress, which is amazing. But there is this whole, as Mark indicate, as you had said, Mark, you know, there's this whole set of, baggage and trauma luggage that she brought in with the marriage and it's been added to right and now there's even more and not it's, and not to discount the fact that he also brought his set of you know totally. sexual baggage or luggage into this uh, and especially with regard to his addiction because that the addiction on his side rewired him also mm -hmm. so now yeah. you have what we could call two sexually broken people trying to come together and become healthy yes absolutely and so we've got and so here we are, right? We've got these factors involved that we've talked about, the abuse, you know, this past history of betrayal in the relationship. And now we have some questions that that need to be answered or that this wife is looking for help with, right? One is, you know, essentially we're tr she's trying to figure out, you know, what are what are going to be the, the healthy sexual norms, right? What should they be slash what are they going to be for both her and her husband moving forward? And we see this, this question of itself is complicated by her situation, but this is all also very relatable to any listener. You know, so many of the couples that we work with, I would say probably most, when when by the time they hit our office, sadly, these patterns of betrayal or abuse or secrecy, right, and, and addiction cycles have been going on in many cases the entire relationship or for so long that neither one of them remembers if they ever had it at all what a quote unquote healthy marriage looks like in almost any way. Right. And so here we are in recovery and we're trying to like map that out, right? Like what we know what it's looked like, but like, what the crap is this supposed to look like? It's kind of, you're back at square one in a way. 
Yeah. And she says something in what she sent us that, that those who don't understand how this works would see as a major contradiction. She says, she describes that her husband, who is, who is no longer hypersexual because of his, you know, his addiction and they're having, you know, sexual intimacy, you know, once every week or two, you would think, okay, that's great. They're getting into a healthy space. Then in the next sentence, she says, but she's feeling that they're not having sex enough. You're like, wait, yeah. isn't she contradicting herself? Mm, I would yeah. say, no, no, not at all. Because if you look at her history and what's happening here, that is a very normal, quote, confusion for her to experience. Absolutely. Right? She's trying to find that balanced, healthy, loving place. Where is it? Yeah. Well, and something that I hear in there too, and again, I would emphasize this is healthy. I love that, you know, and, and we won't go back to the quote for sake of time, but she's essentially what you can hear is kind of her voice coming out, right? And saying, mm -hmm. hey, wait a minute, like, I like being sexual, right? Uh, before, this was obviously healthy and toxic in some ways, uh, but there's a part of me that really enjoys and appreciates that side of our relationship. And so even though I am grateful, right, that it, I'm not being objectified in the same way and that, you know, sex has taken more of a healthy place, I guess you could say, in the relationship. There's a part of me as I'm discovering my own authenticity and working on this, right, that that I like sex and and how do I find that balance? And 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 that's that's a you know, obviously we don't know this person in detail, but I would say that that's really encouraging to hear because any any, you know, I, I think across the board, and Mark, you can attest to this, obviously, I think one of the hardest things for for so many trauma victims and abuse victims, regardless of the type of abuse, is learning how to find one's voice, right? Yes. If they ever have before and find it and then express it. And so. especially with regard to to sexuality, when when sex was involved in the abuse or, yes. the, or the molestation, for me, I had trouble coming to a healthy place with sex for a long, long time. Mm -hmm. We're talking several decades into my marriage. I would not say that sex was ever, ever healthy for me. Yeah. For the first 20 years of my marriage, it was awkward. There was an embarrassment to it. I couldn't talk about it. Um, there were just so many things that were just very uncomfortable with regard to sexual relations with my wife. It yeah. just, I mean, there was, of course, the addict side to me that really, you know, was desperate to have, you know, the whole dopamine release and, you know, the whole erection and ejaculation and all the rest of it. But most of the health, healthy elements of sex were completely missing for me. Yeah. Because of what yeah. happened to me early on. And it took a lot of work and a lot of uh, sharing between the two of us to get to the place where I felt, I finally felt comfortable in that setting, which sounds weird, right? Decades of marriage and you're not comfortable in that setting. No, I yeah. wasn't at all. And this is, I guess this is where I really wanted to go to and, and kind of finish up on our podcast with Steve. Yeah. So often, and this isn't just for those of us who have been abused or, or we've suffered with addiction. This is cultural also. We are in a culture that tends to lead out with sex, expecting that it will then lead us to <laughs> overall intimacy in the relationship. Absolutely. Absolutely. Lead out with sex, and then we'll be connected in every other way. Yep. And we're here to tell you that that is absolutely backwards. Oh, my goodness. Yes. And you can <laughs> you can thank Hollywood and about 95% of every romantic comedy that's ever been made uh, for for that, along with a lot of other cultural components, right? You're you're absolutely right. This over-sexualization, this over-emphasis, and, and like you said, even that 
that bass awkwardness, if you will, around, you know, we use sex as a way to find intimacy as opposed to intimacy leading to healthy physical intimacy or those at least coming along with one another, right? One being that reflection of the other that we talk about all the time. Uh, it is a vastly different approach and a different way of doing it. And uh, you're you're so right. And I think that, you know, one thing that I would add to this, you know, because there are, I mean, these are these are hard questions to face. I think that as this this couple, as they navigate, the first thing that's going to be so critical, and we talk about this all the time, uh, hopefully this couple is doing this, you know, during, in her submission, she talked about, it was following a surgery where he was a caregiver, where a lot of the depth of their relationship that they enjoy now developed. Uh, he was a caregiver for her for several months and they basically just had a lot of time, you know, where they were mm-hmm. spending together, which is amazing. And she doesn't specify whether that continues on today or not. But as we so often mention on here, guys, daily check-ins is your first best step in the couple's recovery process. Daily journaling individually so that you can essentially be prepared. It's essentially checking in with yourself and then that sharing with a partner on a frequent, consistent basis. Um, so many of the issues that the couples that we we work with, their issues could be alleviated in many ways and the recovery that they experience or are seeking could be greatly accelerated if there was just that consistent sharing, right? Yeah. And learning yeah. to be in those spaces and, and just really acclimating to doing that very, very frequently. Um, I think that, you know, as, as this couple is, is, is navigating this, like you said, they're going to be really uncomfortable parts to this discussion probably and a lot of scary pieces to it even though that trust is developing as as all of you know or i guess what we're saying right now you know trust in a relationship is complicated the reality is is it's not across the board right every relationship we have higher areas of trust in some areas and then lower areas of trust in others and so really being in tune with that and, and essentially practicing just talking about this both for the addict as well as for someone who's been abused and betrayed and just making sex a healthy topic and something that can consistently be brought up and have it so that you can work on that awkwardness, Mark, that you talked about, right? And work on the discomfort and and spending that time together is, is going to be, I think, a great either starting point or ongoing piece for a couple that finds themselves in a situation like this. Well, yeah, I love that. And the other part of the other part that's an extension of what you're talking about, Steve, which is this daily intimacy, right? Into me, you see, into you, I see, we share, we talk, we dialogue, we, you know, we're not afraid to address hard topics. I'd also encourage this couple and others start to pay attention to how much you look to sex to be the doorway to all the other intimacy in your relationship. Absolutely. Too often we expect of sex what it cannot deliver. We ask too much of it. And that's a result of how we've been we've been raised, and and of course, as we've said, the abuse does that, the pornography, the the culture, all of it. Yes. Instead, I would encourage couples to start looking at all the other ways that we can be close and tender and connected with each other. And can those simply be standalones by themselves without any big agenda or expectation? And so, yeah. holding hands, right, um, embracing, hugging, s- sitting, and looking in each other's eyes to have a deep conversation. Um, you know, I have what I call um, seven areas of intimacy. Um, actually, there's eight. Seven that have nothing to do with sex. Yeah, absolutely nothing. There's so many ways to be close and connected, and really quote into each other. And if you'll explore all of those then what you'll find is that the sexual intimacy part will naturally unfold 
It will, it will often be a natural outcome of all the other ways that we're sharing rather yes. than always being the lead out. And yeah. that's, I see a lot of problems are created when, when you've got that in reverse. This is very much truth that, that you're hearing, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, you, every, every, every grocery store checkout counter right now across, across the States and probably in other countries that where you're listening as well, you're going to find at least one magazine right now in, in any given grocery store that says 55 ways of having mind blowing sex with your partner or something along those lines, right? That's just like an ever constant, ever present topic, just reflecting on our culture. And that's, and, and talking as two addicts in long-term recovery and as two guys who were sort of like sexual crusaders, like seeking the Holy grail of crazy mind blowing sex. I think we can both attest and Mark would agree with this. You want mind blowing sex, do what Mark is talking about. Yep. That's how mind blowing sex happens. It's not through the pursuit of any sort of crazy position or any sort of outfit or anything like that. It comes when you are with a partner where you have done all the other things that results in this natural outflow of 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 a, of a sexual relationship that stems from all these other areas of intimacy. Yeah, you're you're so close in so many other small ways on a regular daily basis that it's just a natural outcome. Yeah, you get to say, "Wow, we've been so close in doing all this, and I feel I feel so connected to you. I I have a desire now to be like really connected to you in this physical way. Yeah, it just feels so natural to want to go and be with you in that way." Yep. Because of all the deposits we've been making into the intimacy account on an ongoing basis, this is now just a natural outcome and it just it just feels right. Yeah. As opposed to forced or expected or, you know, all the other things. For sure. You know, guys, and as we wrap up, you know, something that was in this submission that 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 was sent to us is that, you know, she this this uh listener made a comment that said, uh, you know. My husband and I, we both probably really need therapy, but right now, um, we, you know, because of money issues, that's just not an option. Well, we have an option. <laughs> uh, most of you who have listened for some time now are probably familiar that uh, about a year ago, actually, we're just we just passed the year mark. Mark and I launched a revolutionary new program that's the first of its kind that we know of, uh, called Dare to Connect. Um, think of it like this podcast, but on an inter interactive level and kind of on healthy steroids, um, <laughs> Monday, Wednesday, and Friday for at least a half hour. But because Mark and I are passionate, he usually ends up being longer than that. Uh, we tackle issues and submissions from clients every day on an interactive basis. Um, the technology that we are using, we're continuing to develop that out. And we have lots of other exciting things that are going to be coming on, including the potential for having people even coming live on and interacting with us. Uh, in that program and asking questions in real time. They submit them right now. We inter interact and engage in the chat function. We're tackling just a whole variety of topics, anything pertaining to sex, intimacy, and connection, and anything in between. Uh, we would love to have you join us. It's $95 a month after the two-week free trial. That's six hours with Mark and I every month um, with, with interactive, engaged help. We put together Dare to Connect because it carries so many. It's, it will never be therapy, and, and it was never designed to be. But it carries so many benefits of the of a therapeutic setting and a lot of the benefits that come from therapy, combines it from with the benefits of group interaction with others who are in the fight with you. And we do it at less than the cost currently of what Mark and I charge as an hourly rate as therapists. So we tried, we we put it together to tick all those boxes for you. Please come join us. If you haven't come over, if you haven't given it a try, 
like it's it's always weird for us to market our own stuff, but just being candid, it really is the best thing out there for couples struggling with this. This is the program, as Mark and I say all the time. We spent over what Mark over two years developing it um, before we ever launched it, and we designed it specifically to be the program that we never had. Um, because Mark and I did this all the wrong ways first. That's the, that's the reality, right? If you've read our book, the pornography paradox, we just stumbled around and pretty much checked the box on every dysfunctional way to navigate recovery before we like kind of, you know, wandered into the right way. Uh, don't reinvent the wheel. (laughs) Come join us. We'd love to have you there. So please come join us. You can find more, more information about that and grab your free trial on that at uh, dare to connect now.com. Yep. Sounds great. Thanks. Uh, thanks to the listener wrote in so authentic yes. and so transparent. We love you and our hearts go out to you. And uh, we just uh, hope a great connection and, and uh, great overall intimacy for all of you. Keep trying, keep getting back up and going forward again. And we, I like, I, as I like to say, we can do this. Yes. absolutely. Have a great week, everybody. Everything expressed on the PBSE podcast are the opinions of the hosts and the participants and is for informational and educational purposes only. This podcast should not be considered mental health therapy or as a substitute thereof. It is strongly recommended that you seek out the clinical guidance of an individual qualified mental health professional. If you're experiencing thoughts of suicide, self-harm, or a desire to harm others, please dial 911 or go to your nearest emergency room.